about you. Uh, you got to give an account. So produce all the books and the receipts and the disbursements that, uh, so I can see if these accusations that I've heard about you is true or not. Or they are true or false. Then the steward said within himself, well, I got to come up with a plan here since I'm going to get fired. Now, you watch this guy. He's not stupid. Watch him. The steward said within himself, what should I do for my master's taking away the stewardship from me? He knew that. I cannot dig and I am ashamed to beg. Hmm. The steward is guilty as charged because when his master fired him in verse two, the steward made no attempt to defend himself because he knew he was guilty of embezzling the master's funds. He said, I cannot dig. Well, why can't you dig? It appears that he was not either old. He wasn't an old person and he wasn't a lame person. Uh, the truth is that the steward was lazy. He was unwilling to stoop as low to, to dig for employment so he can support himself. He would not stoop that low. He said, I'm not going to dig and I'm not going to beg. Well, Verse four, I have resolved what to do. OK, I got a plan. When I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me in their houses. OK, I'm going to do them a favor now so they can do me a favor later. I'm going to make as many friends as I can right now while I have this position. So when I'm kicked out, maybe they'll come to my rescue and they'll help me. He had been dishonest and he knew that he's going to lose the stewardship when I'm put out. Hmm. When I lose my place, when I get fired, when I have no means of support, they may receive me into their houses. They, they'll, they'll feel they owe me a favor. He is using his present position to prepare for his future, to benefit him later. So verse five, he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? The, debtor, the debtors here are those who owes his master. And he knew exactly who they were because he was a steward. And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Quickly, he supposed that his master would soon remove him from his position. So he's got to act quick. So he's acting here in haste. And he's going to get himself set before he's kicked out. Observe in haste. He got to do it fast. This is this this was not a secret transaction. Well, it was a secret transaction. This was a secret transaction unauthorized by his master. Then he said to another, verse seven, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. The sons of light of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the, the sons of light of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the, the sons of light. The son of this world is more shrewd in this generation than the sons of light. He used his present opportunity how to provide for his future. He does not commend him because he done falsely. The master did not commend him because he done falsely, but his master commend him because he had dealt wisely and prepared 
for his future by doing favors to all of his master's debtors who owed his master. He says, when I'm kicked out, man, they're going to come help me. And he was commended for it. Not for the wrong he did, but he did act. He did prepare for his future. Most unbelievers are wiser in the ways of the world than some believers and sons of light. He said it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than one tittle of the law fail. A tittle uh, in the term means a tiny mark distinguish the Hebrew act. The Hebrew alphabet, the letters were a tiny mark. And whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who was divorced from her husband commits adultery. I'm going to say more about the steward here in a minute. I'm not done with him. So. But no exceptions here. In Mark and Luke, both Matthew as they accept on, they said sexual immorality. You have grounds for divorce. And Paul also uh, allows for divorce and desertion in 1 Corinthians 7 15. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under abundance in such cases, but God has called us to peace. He threw this right in the middle of the chapter. It seemed like it's out of place, but it's right in the middle of the chapter because the Pharisees would divorce their wives at any reason. If their wife burned his toast or put too much, too much salt in his meal, the Pharisees would divorce his wife. So right in the middle of the unjust steward, he throws in divorce and remarriage. Because the Pharisees taught, man, uh, although they had no scriptural grounds, if a woman came along and looked better than your wife, man, you can just kick your wife out and go get, get her. And if she put too much salt in your food, you could kick her out and find somebody else. But Malachi 2.16, for the Lord God of Israel, that he hates divorce. For it covers one garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously with your wife. Peter talks about if you deal bad with your wife, if you mistreat your wife, he said your prayers will not even be hindered. Your prayers would be hindered. So you're not supposed to mistreat anyone, especially your wife. You're not supposed to mistreat her, right? Jesus said in no uncertain terms that marriage is a lifetime commitment. Uh, this is the way God designed it. One woman, one man for a lifetime. That's the way God designed it. To leave your spouse for another person may be legal in the world's standards, but in God's standards, it's adultery. There are scriptural grounds for divorce. If you have scriptural grounds, a person can get a divorce, but a person, although they have scriptural grounds, don't have to get a divorce. I've seen people over the years who had scriptural grounds for divorce, and they forgave each other, and their marriage is still strong until this day. And I've saw other people that says, well, this is my chance to get out of here, so man, I'm out. But as you think about marriage, remember that God intends to be a permanent commitment, a lifetime commitment. And if you do not want to be committed for a lifetime, then don't do it. I've told people this in marriage counseling all the time, and I have marriage counseling before I marry anybody. And I say, listen, 
Are you, are you going to be committed for life? Are you going to be committed permanently? Are you willing? I look at the man, I say, listen, are you willing to give your life for this woman? Are you willing to do that? If he says no, well, you might well just not even do it. This is, this is, serious, this is serious business when you're talking about marriage. Because it can affect you, it can affect your life forever. I asked him in marriage counseling, okay, now do you see any red flags? Speak now, forever hold your peace. Do you see any red flags? Well, you know, he's drinking and he's partying. I said, well, you better wait. You better wait. You better put it on hold. Well, he don't want to go to church. Well, you better wait. I said, now you're not marrying unequally yoked, are you? You're not unequally yoked because the Bible says now you're supposed to marry a Christian and not a, non, and not a non-believer. Of course, I won't even do it a person unequally yoked. Now, sometimes it happens when, when people get married, they both are unbelievers. Then one becomes a believer later on, and now you're unequally yoked. What are you supposed to do? Kick the person out? No, you, you got to stay there and try to win the person to Christ. 1 Peter 3 says you can win without a word. Your conduct and your behavior in front of that unbeliever will eventually win them, win them without you saying a word. So it is, it is a lifetime commitment. I take it very, very seriously. Uh, I, I know Satan is attacking their marriages today, and I know the divorce rate in the church is getting, I'm told it's just as high as the world. Why? Because, of course, Satan is going to attack your home. Of course, he don't want you to have a good church. He don't want you to have a good marriage. He doesn't want you to be happy, period. He's going to do everything under the sun and make you miserable. So I tell couples, guys, this is serious. The, the, most, important things that you can, the most important thing that you can do in life is accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And the second important thing you can do is marriage. And you don't want to get the wrong one. You better all by yourself. I don't know. Sometimes they say, well, I'm going to go get a professional counselor. I've had people say that in marriage counseling. I go get a professional counselor. Well, I'm, I am professional. I'm telling you what the word says. I'm telling you, I'm trying to save you some grief. Amen. I'm trying to save you some heartache. All right. Back to the steward. I didn't want to throw that in there. <laughs> you know, just in case you asked. Back to the foolish steward. The steward is someone. What is a steward anyway? Let's get back to him because I'm not quite done with this guy because this guy is sneaky. A steward is someone who manages another person's wealth. He does not own the wealth himself, but he has the privilege of enjoying it and using it for the profit of his master. The most important thing about a steward is that he serve his master faithfully. And when we look at the riches around him, the steward must remember that the riches does not belong to him. The riches belongs to his master, not to him personally. And that they must be used in a way to profit and to please his master. I mean, when you put a person in stewardship, this is a position of trust and it's a position of the, uh, the, the master have confidence and trust in you. But this particular steward forgot that he was a, was a steward and began to act like that he was the owner. 
he became a prodigal steward, a wasteful. He wasted his master's wealth. His master heard about it and immediately asked inventory for his goods. He, he said, bring the books, man. We're going to audit these books. So he fired the steward. But before we judge him too harshly, before we judge him too severely, let's examine our own lives to see how faithful we have been as stewards of what God has given us. We also are called to be good stewards. To begin with, we are good stewards of our material wealth we have. Whether little or a lot, we are to be good stewards of what God has given us materially. And we will one day give an account to God by the way we used it. Christian stewardship goes far beyond than just paying tires or giving money to the church. The good steward means that we must thank God all that we have, for all that we have, and use it as God directs us to. Giving God 10% of our income is a good way to begin our faithful stewardship, but we must remember that God also controls the 90% that we have left. We are also stewards of our time. How do you use your time? Redeeming the time because the days are evil. How do you use your time? Buying back the time, making most of every opportunity. Are we wise? Are we careless with our time? The main reason of this narrative in this steward is that as dishonest as he was, he used the opportunity wisely to prepare for his future. So many people in the world a wiser preparing for their future sometimes as the people of more than the people of God. See then if you walk circumspectly, the New King James says, but the word means carefully. In this world, see that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the times because the days are evil. Christian stewards of the gifts, we are supposed to be good stewards of the gift that God has given us to serve others and to serve God. As each one of us has received a gift, minister to it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. First Peter 4.10, we are stewards. We must use our abilities to win the loss, encourage the saints, and meet the needs of other people. We have been approved by God, Paul said, be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tries our hearts. We have been good stewards of that gospel. We're supposed to be good stewards of preaching that gospel. Like, the, like this steward here, we must, we must one day give an account of this life, of this stewardship, how we use this life. Did you use my life for myself? Did I use my life for myself, what I wanted? Did I use my gifts and talents for myself? No. We got to be faithful because one day we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account how we live this life. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about rewards. Like this steward, we're going to one day give an account of our stewardship. Have you been faithful to what God has called you to do? If not, then why not? Because we could lose blessings. Though we, will, though we will be saved even by the fire. As wise steward, we, 
you know, this wise steward, he knew he was going to lose his job and he couldn't change the past. But he said, boy, I can't I can't prepare for my future. By making friends of the creditors of his master's creditors. When he was thrown out, he can tell them creditors, hey, man, I was good to you. Now you be good to me. You owe me a favor. He gave them all a generous discount. And they were only too glad to cooperate. For even his master complimented him how clever he was. Jesus did not commend this steward on, on the wrong he did, on robbing his master. For, but he, he encouraged him, he commended him for using the op, his opportunity and his position wisely. The children of this world are expert at sizing opportunities for making money. And their friends... And they, many of the unbelievers, they get ahead, but God's people should take heed and be just as wise when it comes to managing spiritual affairs. We should be just as wise in managing spiritual affairs as an unbeliever as in managing world affairs. The children of this world are wise in this generation. They see, these, they see the things of time, but the things of eternity only God's people can see those things of eternity. They see the things of time, but not the things of eternity. The unbelievers see the things of time. They see the things of the world, but they don't have a clue about eternal things. And that's why we are far ahead of them, because we don't focus on the temporary. We are focused on the eternal. He admonished us to use our opportunities wisely. One day, life will end, and we will not be able to use our gifts anymore. We will not be, we'll not be able to, to use our time, our talents anymore. It's going to be all over. Redeeming the time and use the time that you, uh, that you have here on earth and take advantage of every opportunity. Invest money in making friends. Invest money in heavenly things. The biggest investment you can make is in the kingdom of God. Amen. That is the biggest investment you can make. Because that money is going to go throughout eternity. What you do here is going to count there. If you brought nothing into the world, you're not going to take anything out. Everything you got, you're going to leave and it's all going to burn our lives, our resources will end. So it behooves us right now to use everything we have for the glory of God. It's a tragic to see how wealth is being wasted many times by Christians. Many times by Christians. They live as though Jesus never died and judgment is never going to come. Our Lord's second admonition to be faithful in the way we use our material wealth. But finally, the Lord admonishes us to be totally devoted and be single-minded in the things of Christ. We cannot love or serve two masters, he said. You can't do it. We cannot serve two masters any more than we can walk in two directions at one time. If we choose to serve money, we... We are not serving God. If we choose to serve God, 
then we are not serving money. Jesus demanded integrity, total devotion to God, then put him first in everything that we do. Put Christ in everything and you do and you'll find things will start falling in place. But when God is not first, everything is out of order. Everything's out of place. Henry Fielding wrote, Make money your God and it will plague you like the devil. Henry Fielding, I'm not sure who he is, but I read a quote by him. I thought this was good. Make money your God and it will plague you like the devil, Jesus. But Jesus said, make money your servants and use today's opportunities as investments in tomorrow's dividends. Be wise, Stuart. There are souls to win to the Savior and our money can help win souls to the kingdom. We only support missionaries who preach the gospel. There's a lot of ministries out there that is false and they are not teaching the word of God and we're not going to support and we're not going to support their ministries because they're not teaching sound doctrine. I tell people to send me a statement of faith. Let me see what you believe here before we send you any funds. We check them out. We check people out before we send funds. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. It's no way you can do it. But the sign of this age are often more concerned, more concerned and skilled in taking care of earthly things than the sons of light are interested in eternal things. I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous manner, verse 9. And when you fail, they may receive you into their everlasting home. They may receive you into their house. He who is faithful in what is least is as faithful as much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust in much. Are you faithful in the little things? The little things. You might think it's little, but God might think it's big. Because God doesn't see as man sees. God's ways is higher than our ways, and the heaven is above the earth. He's not like you. He don't think like you. He don't act like you. He's not you. Unrighteous matter refers to money, earthly money, earthly possessions. If you're faithful in small matters pertaining to this world, if you do not use or write your property and your influence and your finances, God cannot commit to you spiritual riches. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, God's, everything belongs to him anyway, we own nothing, who will give you what is your own? Verse 12, all riches belong to God. We must manage his riches well in this lifetime. But you cannot serve two masters. It's impossible to do it. Earthly material, earthly treasures, especially money, no man can serve God and riches at the same time, we must make a choice between serving God and serving money. There's nothing wrong with money. Money can do a lot of good and money can get the gospel around the world and money can help a lot of needy people. There's nothing wrong with it. But when money takes the place of God, it becomes an idol. And it is wrong. It's not wrong to have money. It's just wrong when money have you. 
The way to serve God rather than money is to put one resources to serve God and to further the gospel. That is one way, that's one investment that will, you will get eternal, eternal dividends. Eternal dividends. If, if a missionary is not preaching the gospel and if people are not coming to Christ, we are not going to support them people. People are dying the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, the resurrection, inerrancy of scripture. People saying Christ was created. We're not going to support them people. So they'll send me letters through the mail. So we have a matching fund. Now, we got a, we got a, if you give us $300, we got some people that's going to match it. I don't care if you match it or not. You're still not going to get any money from us because you're not preaching the gospel. So, Anyway, let's just move on. Yeah, we're just having fun, you know. Verse 14. Now, the Pharisees who love money, uh oh, we know they're the root of all kinds of evil because they love money, right? Who love money also heard these things and they derided him. They ridiculed, they scoffed at him, they sneered at him. The Greek word derided it means that they turned up their nose at him. That's what it mean, the word means. When they heard Jesus speak, it's like the things that he said, they turned up their nose at him. Wow. And he said to them, verse 15, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to God. You know, people who seek, they seek to be righteous before others. Men, they praised them because they had the long robes and people called them rabbi and people put them on a pedestal. Jesus said, you know what? For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The Pharisees acted pious to get praise from other people, but God knew what was in their heart. They considered their wealth to be a sign of God's approval, but God detested their wealth because it caused them to abandon spiritual things. Hmm. He said the law and the prophets were until John since the time the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. John urged everyone to press into the things that he preached. John the Baptist talking about the law and the prophets until John. For John introduced the Savior to the nations and announced the arrival of the, of the kingdom. But they, that did not mean that the law was discredited or destroyed. For in Jesus Christ, the law was fulfilled. He said, I not, did not come to what to destroy the law. I came to what to fulfill it. The Pharisees prided themselves in their faithful obedience to the law of Moses. But they did not receive the Savior of whom Moses wrote about. Hypocrites, Jesus called him. He said, you might be looking good in front of people, and you might be impressing people, if he said, but God sees the heart. The stewardship that we have in this life God gave us gifts, talents. Some people have finances, some don't. But if you don't, they can serve in other ways. There's people, uh, 
I was talking to a lady a couple of weeks ago in this church, and she said, I don't know what my gifts are. I don't know what they are. But every single month, every single month, when I go check the mail, there's five or $600 every, six, every single month. Every single month. Every single month. I said, well, your gift is giving. Your gift is giving. No one is pressuring you to do that. No one is pressuring you. To, I've never pressured people. I've never pressured people for money. Never will. But it's always been enough and more. Because if some people don't give, other people will. Don't make, it don't, I don't even count it. I don't even know. I mean, I know how much is there, so I don't, over, I don't overspend. And we don't overspend. We are good stewards of whatever comes in. We don't just go out and buy things foolishly. Guitar center called me and said, man, you, you got to upgrade. No, I don't. Your sound system is 20 years old. I said, I don't care. It's working. <laughs> well, we got one on sale. We'll give you a discount. You've been a great customer. I don't care nothing about that, man. The thing is working. Leave it. If it's working. Oh, be a good steward of what you have. Your time, your money, your house. The Bible said, by neglect, the house falls down. Well, uh, you just can't let things just fall down. Be a good steward of what God has given you. You know, it, it reminds me, and I will close with this, Matthew 25, verse 14 to 19. You talk about the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents. And it's something, okay, we can learn from this. And we just close with this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And, and immediately he went on a journey. You know, he said he gave each to according to his own ability. Maybe your ability might be different from somebody else's. But it, Success in, the, success in the eyes of God is doing what he calls you to do with what you got. The, the question is, what you're doing with what you got? Then he, he received the five talents, and when he traded, his, he traded with them, he made another five talents. And he, in verse 17, and likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he had received one talent. He dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Whose money was it? He dug it in the ground and hid the Lord's money. It wasn't even his. And after a long time, the Lord of the servants came and settled the account with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. In verse 21, he said, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful on a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered two talents. Lord, I've gained two more talents besides them. The Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then he who had received one talent and said, Lord, I knew, I knew. You were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and, and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. 
I'm giving you back what is yours. I didn't do anything with it. I didn't add anything to it. I'm going to give back to you what is yours. But he, but his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew I reap what I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. You ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. You should have done something with it. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more is to be given, and he will give abundance. But from him who does not have what he has, it will be taken away. Cast this unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Unprofitable. He said, cast this unprofitable servant. He was no prophet at all to his master. Every believer is, ta- is gifted with something. God has put something in your midst. God has put something in your hands that he wants you to use for his glory. It hasn't got to be, it hasn't got to be money all the time. That's got, but you have gifts. The reason, uh, the way you can recognize your gifts is what really, what really stirs you on the inside. What really motivates you for the kingdom of God? What, some people just like to serve. Just like to serve. They just want to do, they just do anything. Some people, they come over here and they, they just work in the yard, man. They'll just do whatever. As long as they're doing it for, they don't care what it is. But everyone is gifted. And if you use it for God, it will last throughout eternity. Preparing for your future. Well, if you've received Christ today, you've prepared for your future. You know you're going to heaven. But if you have not, then you have not prepared for your future. No, no, most people are not going to talk about eternity. Most people are not going to talk about death. You, you, they'll talk about anything else. You listen to them, they're not going to talk about eternity and they're not going to talk about death. Too scary for them, but, it, but it's a reality. Prepare for your future by receiving Christ today in your heart as your Lord and your Savior. Admit that you are a sinner. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus said, if you would just repent of your sins and change and ask Christ to come into your life, he will forgive you of your sins and, and he will take you to heaven. But the ball's in your court and you have to ask him to come in. He said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and him with me. So if you will ask him to come into your life and admit that you are a sinner and be willing to repent of your sins, say, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me, come into my life, you know you can have forgiveness of sin and eternal life. There's a lot of persecution right now among Christians because we teach that there's only one way to heaven. That's only one way, not two, only one. That rubs a lot of people the wrong way. They say that's narrow-minded. Well, I guess Jesus was narrow-minded then because he the one said in John 14, 6, he said, I'm the way. He didn't say I was the way or another way. He said, I am, I am the only way. And people are trusting in everything else and they're looking for answers and everything else, but, but they're not turning to the one that has the answer. So today, if you don't have Christ, come to him. You will never be sorry that you did. The way the world is going, we need him now more than ever. It's getting crazy. 
and crazier every day. But if you have Christ in your corner, you still can have the peace that passes understanding and you can still live a positive life in a negative world. I pray that you have a devotional life. I pray that you have a devotional life where you can sit at the Lord Jesus Christ's feet every day and let him fill you with what you need. I hope you do. Don't force him out of your life because you're going to need him more and more and more. And he's promised to be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for we could come today and we thank you that we can come hear your word. We pray, God, that you would help us to continue and persevere. We know, Lord, that you are still in control. And we know, God, that you are coming again. Help us to be faithful and help us, Lord, to not be discouraged, but continue to serve you and serve each other. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.